This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. As a geotechnical engineer, providing value in the industry and in the company you work is of utmost importance. And in this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, we'll be talking about Cord Wiesman, PhD, PE, DGE, and the president of GeoPeer Foundations, who has had a tremendous impact on the engineering industry. He has over 30 years of geotechnical engineering experience, and he's led GeoPeer since the year 2002 in the development and implementation of GeoPeer's multiple innovative ground improvement technologies now deployed worldwide. And in this episode, we'll be talking to him about what he believes geotechnical engineers can and should do to provide more value in the industry. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. But before we get started with today's episode, we're going to hear a word from today's sponsor, that being Keller. By connecting global resources and expertise with local knowledge and focus, Keller develops innovative, practical, and cost-effective solutions to geotechnical challenges, including deep foundations, ground improvement, groundwater control, liquefaction mitigation, releveling structures, slope stabilization, supportive excavation, underpinning, and instrumentation and monitoring. Keller builds projects designed by others and offers complete design build services for any geotechnical construction application. Keller was founded in 1860 and is the largest geotechnical specialty contractor in the world, with operations in over 40 countries across five continents. With a North American presence of over 100 years, Keller operates as the market leader with over 60 offices throughout the U.S. and Canada and is the sole source for a complete geotechnical construction solution optimally designed to meet clients' needs. To learn more about Keller, visit our website at www.keller-na.com. Welcome to the show, Cord. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you on the show today. It's been a while since you and I have talked, but uh, for the sake of our listeners, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what is it that you do on a daily basis? It's a great question. Sometimes I wonder myself <laughs> what I do on a daily basis. I really believe that I have the best job in America. And if it's not the best job in America, it's definitely the best job in engineering or geotechnical engineering. And, and uh, I run this company called GeoPure Foundation Company. And I've been uh, leading this company for 20 years now. I've been with the company for about 24 when it was just a startup. And I was a consultant like you are. And I got hired somehow to be the you know, chief engineer of this startup company. And, and it was really crazy back in the day. I mean, it was... Uh, 
you know, I wasn't sure I was going to get paid at first. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But it was really, we were changing the world in terms of ground improvement. And I like to say, I like to think that at least in our own little small space that we did change the world and we brought sort of a design build ground improvement for structures to the marketplace to be kind of a, a first choice alternative from a second choice alternative. And all of those things and bringing that to market provided huge opportunities for me in terms of being the chief engineer and developing engineering things and working with people like you <laughs> around to get your project supported in the right way and developing new tools and techniques you know, to make our jobs easier in certain soil conditions, getting into all kinds of different things. We went international at one point in time, and now we work in 30 countries. And, and I get to be the person who does a little bit of everything. I get to sell these things. I get to market a little bit. I get to engineer. I get to front, develop products. And I get to be on podcasts like this. So it's, it's the best job in America. It really is. It's really fun. I'm reminded that you have your PhD in engineering. Can you tell us a little bit more about your PhD and, you know, how did that help you in your, your engineering career? Because a lot of times, you know, when I think about it, somebody with a PhD, I'm often thinking about someone that goes, in, you know, the academic route, goes professor and things of that sort. So tell us more about that. How did that help you or, or how did that position you for where you are now? To some degree, I'm an accidental PhD. You know, there's kind of two types of PhDs, I think, in my view. And one is there's some real brilliant people out there, and they just naturally are PhDs. And that might be 30% of the population pool or so. And then there's the rest of us, we just work hard. And you just apply yourself. And just about anybody can get a PhD, you just got to work hard and, and that kind of thing. So I was one of those folks. I didn't go back to get a PhD because I wanted to be an academe even though I did teach for a little while after as an adjunct professor at one point, I went back because I really wanted a specialization. And I felt that my career was undistinguished and I was good at a lot of things, but I wasn't great at anything. And so I convinced Mike Duncan at Virginia Tech to take me back on it. And that was, like I said, I was not the sort of quintessential PhD brilliant guy. I was more the hard worker. But it was really great because they gave me a fairly practical project to work on. It was river structures. And after that, I got a job doing a lot of those works. I got to work on some of the largest projects at that time in America, locks and dams and those kinds of things. What I can tell you that really helped me in my career was before getting a PhD, I was a kind of a sharp, fast engineer, but not always the most thorough one. And what George Phils, who was my PhD advisor, taught me was to go that extra mile, go think a little bit deeper, think a lot deeper, and get down to the root issue. And after that, that's been very, very instructive because as you start to develop new techniques and new uh, technologies, getting down to the real essential root of the technology and the application is essential to a successful development in the field. And it, it's helped me a lot. It's also made me quite demanding, <laughs> which is not so good. If you're you know, coming up with a new technology and bringing something new to the market, you're going to have an advantage if you're able to think deeply and really try to see, you know, what pain points is this going to address and, and thorough, what are all the things that can go right? What are all the things that go wrong? And where are we in between? So it's, I can see that that really is helpful. And then another thing, just the concept of 
the PhD student that comes in with this natural brilliance and the PhD student that, that kind of becomes this PhD student because of the hard worker in the lab. I mean, that's, yeah, I haven't really heard it broken down that way. That gives a lot of hope to some of the folks that are listening in that are considering the PhD, you know? Yeah, I think so. I Like I said, anybody can do it. I saw it as a life journey. So it was four years of my life that I spent deciding to do something. It's like uh, maybe hiking the Appalachian Trail. You do that for the journey that it takes you, not for the destination. And same thing with PhD. I've heard you before talk about the importance of you know, not just sharing your successes, but also your failures as an engineering leader. That requires a, a bit of transparency that we don't always have. So I'd, I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about that. Why do you think that's the case? And It really stems, I think, from a quote from Harry Seed. You might know Harry Seed as the phenomenal liquefaction seismic researcher in our field, right? And he was at Berkeley. I, was, I happened to be at Berkeley in the late 80s. And I took a course from Harry. And Professor Seed, you know, he was brilliant and all that, that technical stuff. But he had one quote that I'll never forget. He said, um, we in our profession, we like to talk about all the things that we do well. We don't like to talk about our failures, but we don't learn too much from the things we do well, do we? You know, but we learn a little bit from our failures. It didn't say exactly that way, but this, that's kind of what it meant. And I kind of took that to heart. And it's so easy to talk about all your successes. It's, you know, it's nice. <laughs> But, you know, you don't you know, learn much from that and you don't teach much from that. And you don't know how close you are to the bone on that. So you have to be able to share your, your not so great projects. We do that internally, of course, and we do that with some of the workshops that we do. But where we've made mistakes, almost always it's handoff. I'll go an extra step in the question, though, and that is, you know, for me personally, you might ask, you know, well, what are your biggest failures, Gordon? And, uh, you know, most of my failures, or what I would consider to be my biggest failures, usually relate to people. And it usually relates to, um, I'm told that I'm, you know, I can be encouraging and those kinds of things for people. But I also know the opposite can be true. And, and there are times when I haven't been able to see the other person's perspective in a good, in a way that was meaningful to them. And I've alienated people. And usually when I think about the failures of my career, it's usually related to people and my inability at times to relate to what they need in their day at that particular time. And, it, and it, well, I find out later and, and it pains me that I did that. I think we were all like that, but I'm no, no exception to that rule. So that's my life journey. Part of my life journey is learning these things in a better way. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, the more we interact with people, we see that everybody's different. Uh, people are motivated by different things. They're demotivated by other things. And so a lot of it ties back to that listening, right? I think it's interesting you say that, uh, you know, the biggest failures tie back to those interpersonal because it's, we don't really take classes for that stuff. It's also something I'm, I'm told I'm good at, but I'm also quite poor sometimes. So it's, it's both and you just have to get better. I think you're right. Listening and, and compassion. You know, compassion's important. And uh, as I get older, I think I realize more and more how compassion is important. You gave a talk back at GeoPit in Philadelphia in 2019. Now that feels like that was eons ago, right? Because 2019 was, you know, before COVID and things of that sort. But you talked about uh, geotransformation. It was uh, getting it all back again. And you said, to battle the forces of commoditization, right? One must provide services that are differentiated. Talk to us about that because that resonated with a lot of us, especially, I mean, we're geotechs, right? And a lot of times people look at what we do and we say, oh, it's commodity, right? I just need a geotech report. 
cheapest one or do that. Tell us a little bit more about that, because I think that that is something we should be thinking about, that concept there. Part of this, the thinking is influenced just by my life's journey, which is going from consulting environment to especially contracting environment. And when you do that, then you get invited to meetings and those kinds of things um, in which the consultant now is not exactly who you are. You're, you're the specialty contractor and you, and you learn things from the consultant's customer's perspective. So that's the first thing. And, and the second thing is um, influence was uh, GBA, Geo Business Association. It used to be ASFE. That's a group of business executives from geotechnical industry. And about 10 years ago, there was just a lot of hand-wringing about commoditization within that group because my perspective was a little bit different. You know, I could, maybe I saw things a little bit differently. That group saw things as, well, we just need to educate our customers better about, you know, how we're better than everybody else. And then everything will you know fall into place because, you know, our customers should know that we're better than everybody else. And he's not as good. But I knew that when you go to the customer that that customer often can't really differentiate one geotech from another. It's just important, I think, to recognize that our business is a business. And it's uh, the, the analogy I like to use, I've used it many, many times, it's dress shirts, you know, <laughs> dress shirts. Like, do you get your shirt from a lot of different suppliers? You can get it from Target or Macy's or Joseph A. Bank or Seville Row in London. And the shirt you get will be different. There's something about the product, but mostly you get a different experience. You know, Target, uh, you'll have that Target smell. <laughs> yeah. You know you're in Target, right? You've got that Target experience, right? Macy's, uh, they'll give you carpet, right? And then uh, Joseph A. Bank, they'll, they'll say hello when you come through the door. And then Seville Road, they'll greet you, they'll give you a massage, and then they'll steal your wallet. Well, the point is, it's a differentiated experience. And you as a customer, you choose your dress shirt mostly based on that experience. And I think that's true for your customers, our customers in the geotechnical industry, that they're looking for a different experience. And those of us who can understand what that experience is and what that deliverable is, we can start differentiating with our customers on things other than price. Because if they can't see us any different from our competitors on really anything, then the only way they can differentiate is on price. And that's the definition of a commodity. Honestly, the reason why I know you is because of a lot of your associations and the committees that you served on. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience and how that's helped you to grow your engineering career? Uh, we have people that are listening in that are you know, students. We have others that are uh, just starting out. They're learning what it means to be an engineer or a consultant or a contractor, a manufacturer, or especially installer. And they, they're saying, well, why do I need to spend time outside of my company to do something for the industry? So what are your thoughts there, Cord? Well, you don't need to. I mean, you can just work, you know, in your role. But it seems to me that what's the old adage, you know, the, the, you know you're as powerful as your sphere of influence. Uh, you're as influential, maybe, as your sphere of influence. And, and I think by going and reaching out to groups of people that are external to your company, it allows you to dramatically increase your sphere of influence. You have friends that are all over the region, the country, at times the world. And as you start to work with these people and you have to contribute, you can't just go to these meetings and listen. You have to be a contributor. You raise your hand when somebody's asking for a volunteer, you review papers, you do these things that you contribute. And when you do, then all of a sudden you start having these connections. 
And then when you have a problem to solve, you have a whole world of people that you can call and they'll, they'll pick up your call. And it's absolutely amazing that by doing so for me personally, I've, I'm on a first name basis with many of the senior leaders in our profession, just simply because of this, uh, the committee work and, and these kinds of things. You know, I think people know this who do a lot of volunteer work, and that is you get back many times the value that you put forth when you do this. It's been instrumental in my career just to have the, be afforded the opportunity to, be, to participate and then spend the extra time to do so. And it's just made things really great. So I would encourage everybody on this call to participate in some way, shape, or form, whether it's in their local community and giving back to the uh, local high school or giving back to the engineering profession in some way or the local university or whatever it is that your heart bids you to do to give back. Let's go one step further. And that many of us, not only are we in a position where we can do that, but I think that we're in a position where we're to some degree obligated to do that. And the reason I say that is because uh, my career isn't what my what it became because of me. My career is what became because of a lot of other people and a lot of other opportunities that were put forth in front of me and that I took advantage of. But the point is, it was other people who provided this for me, other institutions that were available to me of none of my own doing. And so I kind of believe I got this extra thing in life and, and I feel a, an obligation to give back. What's so beautiful about that is that you don't have to wait till you're three, four, five decades into your field before you start giving back. You know, you're in college, you can give back to the high school. When you're in staff level, entry level, you can give back to the college. And we can always give back to the communities where we're serving and designing things and constructing things. What about the people that are there? What can we do to give back? So it's powerful. And I think that it also helps us to have more passion in what we're doing because we see purpose in what we're doing. I agree with that. Yeah. You have to ask yourself, what kind of world do you want to live in? You know, what kind of world do you want to leave for your kids? Giving back to these institutions is important. Yeah. So I guess they call it paying it forward, right? Paying it forward. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what technical skills do you think geotechnical engineers should master to provide more value to the industry? I know you're big on value. What are some of these things we need to master? That's an easy question. I mean, you need to have a decent master's course load under your belt. It doesn't have to be a degree per se, but it has to be a coursework from good people. And I don't think that you can really practice our profession without a master's degree. I think most of us who are in the field believe that, um, whether it's formal or informal master's degree. And I think most of us in the profession would also go one step further and say, well, there's uh, communication skills that you need to get, you know, written communication skills, or oral. We tend to think of written and oral, but really there's interpersonal communication skills that are just as important. How you work in a team, do you alienate team members or do you make people around you better or do you draw from them? These are interpersonal skills. Most of us have to learn these skills. You know, They don't come naturally. We're not born with how to relate to other people. You have to learn these with trial and error and those kinds of things. One more step on this question, too, and that is, it seems like, to some degree, what we miss in our profession, at least at some levels, is sometimes we miss some courage. We lack the courage to continue to learn new things and master new things and have the, uh, the courage to implement them. And I think that reduces our value 
to the profession, to our customers, because we tend to fall back on that which is tried and true and safe for our companies. But safe for our companies, not necessarily highest value for your customer. I would say courage is one thing that I would add that most people may or may not add to. I heard somebody talking about hobbies and things they're doing outside of work to stay creative. And they said, it's good to try to do something that you're not good at. When as far as to say, you know, every now and then it's good to suck at something because then it forces you to then learn that craft or whatever. So you're right. If we're just leaning on what we know and we're not willing to stretch a little bit, we might not be providing the best value. So, wow. So yeah, we need to be a little more courageous. I like that. I think about all the things that you do, Jared. I mean, you're courageous in your field, you know, and you put yourself out there every day and that takes guts. It just does. You do it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's right back at you. I've definitely seen what you've done over the years and it's courageous. It's rubbing off on me. So thank you. If we all remain courageous, what are some of the things that the future holds for the geotechnical industry? What's out there? What do you think? I think we have a bright future. But I don't think that our future looks like our past. We think about the things that we studied in the past and the, the breakthroughs. Just think of the last 80 years. 1980 years ago, Carl Terzaghi was writing his textbooks on, on soil mechanics. Or, you know, our profession is nominally about 80 years old, right? And you think about that, then, you know, we had all the bearing capacity theories and settlement theories and rate of settlement stuff you know, some breakthroughs with wick trains and, and, and all of those things. And a lot of us want to take those uh, uh, lessons that we went through and learn from and those kinds of things and recreate them. And so you see that in the, in the journal articles, or maybe I should say the conference paper articles, uh, sort of similar uh, research on something to make it, you know, infinitesimally better than it was before rather than thinking of the new things. I, I think our future and our profession is not going to be the same as the past. The people who do the same old things that we've always done will be folks that are practicing in a, a technician kind of role. And the folks that really want to be leaders of moving our profession forward will embrace some of the newer things that add value in our profession. And I think it's a digitalization that's a, a primary thing. It's not the digitization, but the digitalization. And the difference there is, you know, digitization is you're making analog things digital, you know, <laughs> you got electric, yeah, electric CPT, <laughs> you know, okay, well, that's the first step. But the second step is to take the data that we have and to categorize the data, use machine learning algorithms and use visualization algorithms. And I think what, what we're going to find is those who are good at that will be those that are the premier mappers. You know, a lot of our work as geotechnical engineers is we map the subsurface, we characterize it, we put engineering properties on it. And I think that the digitalization of our profession will allow us to do that very effectively and quickly. Those who control a lot of data will be those who um, have the best tools, in my view. So there will be a um, consolidation of the profession on, on that level. But then you take all of these things that you've created, these new mapping techniques, these new visualization techniques, these new ways of analyzing things, new ways of finding discontinuities, which control a lot of our, our failures. And you do that, and the interpretation of that is going to be where the fun is in the future of our profession. So that's what I think. I think we have a bright future. It's not going to look like the past. Well, before we take our break, final piece of advice you'd like to give the geotechnical engineers listening. 
don't know if it's a piece of advice or not, but I think enjoy the profession. When I have the uh, privilege of interacting with folks in the geotechnical profession, I can say this, that you and your colleagues are the world's greatest people. And it's uh, we are a down-to-earth, earnest, forward-thinking, great lot of people. Advice I give you is enjoy each other and learn from each other and enjoy your career as you go. We're going to come back in just a minute and close this one out with Cord and our Career Factor Safety End segment. Stick around. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. All right, welcome back. It's time for our career factor safety end segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Dr. Cord Wiesman, PE and DGE. He's the president of GeoPeer Foundations. Now, Cord, you've had a very successful career. And when you look back on your career, what's one thing you implemented to give yourself a factor of safety in your career? That's a really neat question, I think, and, and not something I would normally think of. But I think as you ask the question, my mind goes to an interview I had with a company in Colorado. And in particular, it was an engineer, Dick Davidson. He was with a Wood Recline at the time. And he was interviewing me. I didn't take the job, but I remember looking at his wall. And his wall had all of these phenomenal pictures of these major civil engineering structures, you know, coffer dams and rivers and big dams and huge towers and all of this stuff. And it was diverse. And I remember asking him, I was probably 28 years old, 29 years old at the time. I asked him, I said, Dick, you know, tell me about these pictures and these projects. How did you get involved with all of these things? And and what he told me was really instructive. He said, I was never afraid of taking on a challenge. And he said, you know, there were things that I didn't know how to do. I, you know, I didn't know how to do these various technical things. I learned them. I had to work really hard to learn them, but allowed me to work on these projects. And I took that really hard. It's amazing how people really are so influential on you. One thing this one guy said, I probably talked to him three times in my life, and I still remember that quote. And I've used that, or at least I've tried to use that, implement that in my career. You know, at one point I had an opportunity of working on tunnels. I remember getting a call. He said, Cord, can you help us out with the tunnel? I said, never done a tunnel before. Sure. You know, I can help you with that. And then you got to really work hard and you got to become a master of that technology. And it's a lot of late nights, but you can do it. And that was really what I tried to implement in my career and take it on some of the new technologies, developing new technologies is, is never being controlled by fear, always uh, just overcoming fear, fear of the unknown with added knowledge that you, you work hard to get. So that would be my career factor of safety. It's a, don't be afraid of anything. And when you do, you become an expert in, in many things. 
And then it's much harder, you know, to fail because you always have something else to back you up. So that's what I'd say. Well, Cord, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing all these great insights with us. You share some great information and advice. I know it's going to be helpful for folks that are listening in and watching. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? You're on social media or an email you want to share we can put in the show notes? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. And uh, you can also reach me by email, kwisman at geopeer.com. Thanks for coming on the show. This is a lot of fun. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 67, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all of your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.com dot org.